have you ever uh, been guilty of not taking something seriously enough and then it comes back to bite you later? Uh, I have. I know, I especially, maybe I still am. I, I was, especially when I was in high school, I was like chronically guilty of this. So I would... You know, I, I, was, I was laid back, I am laid back, and, and I wouldn't take things, I wouldn't get super stressed about things, and sometimes I should have been a little bit more stressed about things be, to get things done. And so uh, there's this one time I was auditioning for, uh, to play electric guitar at a church. I played acoustic there and I sang, but I never played electric guitar. And so I was auditioning to play electric guitar, and they wanted to see, you know, wh- where I was at, how I could play, how I would fit in, how I would fit in with the band, and all those kinds of things, just get a feel for where I was at. And so the worship leaders gave me two songs to practice. And they said, you know, come prepared, ready to play. We'll play along with you. Learn these two songs. Learn the lean li- lead lines, the chords, all that stuff. And so I was like, okay, I know those songs. I played them before. Uh, I just need to practice, you know, get the lead lines right. I need to get the riffs right. And so I, I went home. And I didn't listen to the songs because I was like, I, I know these songs. I've, I've played them so many times before. And so I just kind of figured it out by ear, and I was like, okay, that's that line, that's that one. Okay, I'm good to go. Uh, practice until I got them smooth. And then later that week, I went to the church and played through the first one. It was fine. Played through the second one, and as I'm playing, <laughs> as I'm playing the riff, I realized that I had remembered the riff to a different song by the same band. And so they start playing it in a completely different tempo, a different key, and I'm like, oh, no, this is not the same song at all. So I kind of like, and then like kind of fumble my way into the chords. And they're laughing at me. Um, they knew me pretty well, and, and they're laughing at me. And anyways, I embarrassed myself. And it was pretty obvious I hadn't listened to the songs, because you don't get something like that that wrong unless you didn't listen to the songs. I, I didn't take things, I didn't take it seriously enough. I was overconfident. And... I embarrassed myself and uh, ended up, you know, looking like a fool. And so today, we're going to study a passage in Leviticus that is, is similar in a similar way about two men who did not take their roles as priests very seriously. And their consequences for that were a lot harsher than just embarrassing themselves in front of a couple people that were friends. But before we get into that, uh, would you pray with me? Dear Lord, God, you are an awesome, holy God. You are holy. You are merciful. You are wonderful to us. And so we pray that as we look at your word this morning your living and active word, that it would change our hearts, that it would convict us of sin, and that we would see you for who you are, a glorious, holy, majestic king who loves us dearly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you remember a couple of weeks ago when I preached, we looked at a passage in Isaiah And we learned about God's glory. We learned that his glory is earth-filling. We learned that his glory destroys sin and it heals souls. And we learned that his glory inspires us to live on mission. And this week I'm going to ask you to put on your glory glasses once again. We're going to look at the holiness of God. 
in a slightly different light. This story is going to be a difficult one. It's not exactly a fun uh, passage to, to read and talk about and think about, but it's important. And right before we begin reading in Leviticus 10, I just need to lay down some context. So uh, the whole Bible really is a story of God making a way to dwell with his people, to be with his people. He's not a God who wound up the world on a crank and let it to go spin by itself. He's not some distant, uninvolved being who lets us do what we want. He doesn't pay attention to us. That's not him. That's called deism. He is an involved, personal God. He created Adam and Eve, and he spent time with them in the garden. He spent time with them regularly in the garden, walking with them. But unfortunately, Adam, the first man, disobeyed. And through him, evil and darkness and death entered the world and poisoned absolutely everything. And so when sin entered the world, because God is holy, holiness and sin are like oil and water. They're like two positive sides of a magnet. They, they don't mix. They can't touch. They cannot coexist in the same space. And so humanity's relationship with God because of sin was broken. His relationship with them, his ability to dwell with them and spend time with us was broken. But fortunately, God had a plan. Fast forward many centuries after the fall, after sin's entrance into the world, to the book of Leviticus, God has chosen the people of Israel to be his chosen people. He wants to be in a relationship with them at this point in time, in a unique, special, close relationship. But sin's still a factor. They're still sinful people. And so, God in his infinite wisdom institutes a system, of a sacrificial system, in order for their sins to be atoned for, to be made right with God. And so, these sacrifices, in a way, wash the people's sin away. And so with their sin gone, after their sacrifices were made, he could be with them. And a part of the system were the priests. The priests were the middlemen. They were the mediators. They were the people that um, uh, officiated the sacrifices. They interceded on behalf of everyone else for for them to God. They represented the people to God, and they represented God to the people. And uh, another part of this was the tabernacle. It was this huge tent. There were several rooms divided up into curtain with curtains uh, where the sacrifices and worship took place. And in the very center, center of the tabernacle was the most holy place. And this is where God's presence was intensely manifest. And so... Up to this point in Leviticus, the first nine chapters, God has spent in detail kind of explaining the sacrificial system. He's explained to uh, Moses and the people of Israel what, how they were supposed to sacrifice, how he wanted them to be, all these different laws and rules. And then he talks about, in detail again, the role of the priests and what they were supposed to do, what their job was. He highlights their importance and he initiates Moses' brother Aaron and his sons as the priests to the whole nation of Israel. This is a unique time in history. God was doing something new and important by establishing this sacrificial system. By establishing the priesthood, the tabernacle. And so that's kind of where we're at. Now that we have a decent picture of the context leading up to Leviticus 10, uh, let's dive in. 
Uh, would you read with me 10, the first two verses? So, now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. This was shocking. These, these two men, these are Aaron's sons, uh, the priests of Israel. Basically, you know, the number two guys in all of Israel enter the tabernacle and they immediately uh, die from fire of the Lord. And, and what's happening here? Why does this happen? Well, the key phrase here is, is uh, which God had not commanded them, which the Lord had not commanded them. The fact of the matter is that they were performing some sort of priestly duty, but their offense uh, doesn't lie in the fact that they were doing that, but they were doing it on their own terms. Not in the way that God had authorized. And so, in a few verses, we'll see, you know, they might have even been drinking on the job. Uh, while they were doing this, they, they, were, they were doing this carelessly, um, possibly maliciously. They didn't, they didn't take this seriously enough. And they try to enter the most holy place in the tabernacle, an area which only the high priest was supposed to go, which they're not the high priest. Only the high priest was supposed to go into the most holy place once a year. And they knew this was wrong. They had just been told, like I said, they had just been told in excruciating detail what they were supposed to do and what they were not supposed to do. They also knew that their job was a life or death, had life or death consequences. If, if, if in Isaiah, or, yeah. In 835, Moses commands Aaron and his sons to stand guard in front of the tabernacle for a whole week. And he says, if you leave, you will die. You have to take this seriously. They knew that this job carried a high level of responsibility. And so the stakes were high too. Instead of being obedient, however, the first, basically one of the first things we know of them doing is, is doing something disobedient. They choose to do it on their own terms, and unfortunately, they suffer the consequences for it. And now, death uh, might seem like a pretty harsh consequence to you. And, and there's no doubt about it. Death is, is a harsh consequence. It doesn't get much uh, more severe than that. But, but look at it this way. Since Adam and Eve sinned, God had spent thousands of years working through various people to restore his relationship with them. And finally, when a, ma a way is made possible, he's finally here. The sacrificial system's been instituted. The priests are here. He can finally dwell in the tabernacle with his people. There's these two guys that are about to mess it up. They could ruin everything. And so, yes, their consequence is very harsh. But preserving his holiness and his relationship with the people was of utmost importance. And this is the wrath of God poured, a poured out upon sin. It's not fun to talk about, but it's important to understand. It's a sobering reminder of just how serious sin is. Sin always, always, always leads to death. Now, Nadab and Abihu's sin was either careless, maybe it was malicious, uh, maybe it was both. And we all sin just like them. Sometimes it's that bitter grudge you hold against someone for something they did to you years ago. Maybe it's 
yelling in anger at your friend or, or judging someone's entire character by their appearance as you see them walk by in the street. Maybe it's thinking that the other side of whatever is full of arrogant morons. Our sin is, is, appears in all sorts of ways. The problem really comes when we downplay our sin and we don't take it seriously. Nadab and Abihu uh, probably didn't really think what they were doing was that bad. You know, they, they knew in their heads, they'd just been told all these rules, but they must have found some way to justify it to themselves, to make it seem it's okay, like it was okay. But we do the same thing. It's a lot easier to play the victim, to blame someone else, than to admit to ourselves that, you know, sometimes we're the offender. We don't like to think of ourselves as the bad guy, but we need to take our sin seriously. Because sin always, always, always leads to death. It's life or death serious. And so Adam and Eve died because of their sin. Nadab and Abihu died because of their sin. The animals that Israel sacrificed to the Lord died because of the sin of the people. And someday, unless the Lord returns, every one of us is going to die too. Because of sin, Romans 6.23 says that the wages or the cost, the payment of sin is death. There's no way around it. Unfortunately for Nadab and Abihu, it was immediate judgment. And for us, it probably isn't, or else we wouldn't be here today. But make no mistake, your sin demands death. And reading on, we'll see that this is true. In verse 10, 3, or in, in, uh, in verse 3, we'll see that God's holiness displays his glory. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Moses reminds something of God's previously something that God's previously said. But what, what does this statement mean? Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified. What does that mean? Let's break it down. First, among those who are near me. Well, this refers to the priests of Israel. In the sacrificial system, like I said previously, the priests were the mediators between God and the people. They were the only ones who allow, allowed to enter certain rooms in the tabernacle. They were the ones sacrificing animals and, and grain. They were the ones leading the people to God. And so the priests are, in this sentence, the people that are nearest to God. Next, I will be sanctified. I, I really like how the CSB translates this. Um, the CSB says, I will demonstrate my holiness. So among those who are near me, I will demonstrate my holiness. God's holiness is, is demonstrated in a special, unique way amongst his priests. priests. Unfortunately for Nadab and Abihu, that was his holiness uh, in wrath upon sin. But it's not always like that. God's holiness is represented, uh, God's holiness is demonstrated through his priests because they represent God to the people. Among those who are near me, among my priests, I will demonstrate my holiness. 
And now the last half of that verse says, and before all the people, I will be glorified. When God's holiness is demonstrated through his priests, his glory is clearly seen amongst all the people of Israel. This is because the priests represent God to the people. In other words, priests are like glory ambassadors. They represent God. This is another reason why the sin of Nadab and Abihu uh, demanded such a harsh consequence. They are priests. They're representatives of him, his glory ambassadors. And so when the representatives of God sin, they make God look like a sinner in the eyes of the people. They acted carelessly and arrogantly. And so they make God careless and arrogant. This is why sin is so serious. It's, it's not just disobedience, but it's an attack on God's very character. And Aaron realizes this when Moses reminds him of what God has said. And so Aaron held his peace. Moving on, we'll, re- we'll, we'll see that God's priests are called to mourn in verses 4 to 11. And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan and the, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to him, Come near, carry your brothers from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their coats outside of the camp, and as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, this is Aaron and, and Nadab and Abihu's brothers, do not let the hair of your heads hang loose and do not carry your clothes lest you die. And wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled. And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting lest you die, for the anointing of the Lord is upon you. And they did so according to the word of Moses. To me, this is probably the strangest part of the passage. Nadab and Abihu sinned and died for it. We see other examples of that throughout Scripture. It's severe, but we can kind of make sense of that. What, what seems possibly even more cruel is that their family members are told not to grieve for them. Their father and their brothers, they can't mourn over their brother's death, but the rest of Israel can. Why? Why is that? Why can't they publicly mourn? They of all people have the most right to. This affects them the most deeply. Again, This goes back to their role as glory ambassadors, as priests, as representatives of God. Nadab and Abihu defied the Lord and died. So how would it look if his representative mourned and wailed over something that the person they were representing did? It would be similar to, uh, those of you who are parents in the room, it would be similar to a parent disciplining a child for something they did wrong. And the other parent cries and mourns over the child's punishment. You have to be a unified team. Even if it's not fun, even if it's not exciting to discipline your children, you need to do so together. There can't be a conflict of interest, and it's, it's very similar to this. The rest of the priests of Israel need to be unified and affirm God's wrath over sin. So while the, while the rest of the nation is allowed to grieve because what happened was tragic, The priests of God have this high calling that, uh, unfortunately for them, was uh, pretty burdensome in this scenario. Let's keep reading. Uh, Verses 8 and 9. 
And the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. So this section begins uh, as part of a longer section of the specific job description of God's priests. Verse 8, I believe, implies that Nadab and Abihu might have been drinking on the job. Why else would God have been compelled to clarify that they weren't supposed to be drinking? It's almost like, you know, this should have been common sense, but God kind of takes Aaron aside and he says, just to be clear, because this has happened and we don't want this to happen again, absolutely no drinking on the job. Don't drink and sacrifice at the same time. You're supposed to set an example. You're called to a higher standard. Verse 10, you are to distinguish between the holy and the common between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them through Moses. So here we get into what the glory ambassadors, what the priests of God are supposed to do. They're supposed to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean, and to teach the people about God. In other words, his priests need to know what's right and wrong, what's pleasing to the Lord and what's not. They're to, be ambassador of his, they're to be ambassadors of his glory, to know the difference between right and wrong, and then teach people about that, to teach people about the Lord. They're the mediators between God and humanity, vessels of grace, allowing a holy God to dwell in the midst of an unholy people. And so, right now, you might be asking yourself, who cares? Thanks for the history lesson. Why do I need to worry about what priests were doing 3,500 years ago? What does this have to do with us at all? Here's why this is important. Because if you are a Christian here today, you are also a priest. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. Peter's writing to Christians all over the Roman Empire. And he says, but you, Christians, are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. If you're a Christian here today, all these things about priests I've, we've been talking about today are true of you as well. No, we don't have to sacrifice animals anymore but you're a representative of God. You're a holy ambassador. You represent God to the world. So read again Leviticus 10.3, what God said in light of that. Among those who are near me, I will demonstrate my holiness, and before all the people, I will be glorified. God demonstrates his holiness to every to the world through you if you are a Christian. You are a glory ambassador. You are a representative of his grace. The world sees God's glory through you. This is hugely important. There are so many verses throughout scripture that talk about they will know we are Christians by our love. Our character, our conduct, our words are all 
directly reflective of the God we serve and worship. And so it's, it's very sad when you hear stories about non-Christians saying that they left the church or they have no interest in church or Christianity because of, of things that Christians have done, things that they've been hurt by. God forbid that that be true of our church. We need to be characterized by love. We need to be characterized by joy. We're to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We represent God's holiness here on earth so that the world can see his glory through us. That's amazing. You also have a job description. You should know the difference between right and wrong. You should be able to, uh, you know, live according to that and, and be able to teach people in whatever way you can about God. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is a huge honor. It's a huge privilege to be his priest. Because we don't need to now go to a church and sit in a booth and confess our sins to someone wearing a collar. We have direct access to God through the Son. Direct access to the Father through the Son, and that's only possible because of Jesus. Remember what I said about sin. Sin always, always, always leads to death. Nadab and Abihu died for their sin. The animals they sacrificed died. But you don't have to die for your sin. Why? Did, did we find out some way to circumvent the system? Did we cheat it somehow? No. You don't have to die for your sin because someone already has, and his name is Jesus. There's a reason why we don't make animal sacrifices anymore, and there's a reason that you don't need to die. Jesus Christ died on behalf of your sin. He was the ultimate and final sacrifice to pay the price of every sin that you've ever made and every sin that you ever, you ever will make. He took on the fiery wrath of God that was showed upon Nadab and Abihu and died for you in love. His death paid the price that your sin demands. In Christ, you are made perfect because he died for you. But Jesus wouldn't stay dead. No, three days later, he rose from the grave victorious over death and sin. And finally, once and for all, allowing direct access to the Father through him. He is the great high priest mediating between all of humanity for us. Jesus is the great high priest, and we are all now, if you are a Christian, part of the royal priesthood of believers. This is a privilege that Moses and Aaron and the people of Israel never saw. It's the greatest part about being a Christian. All you need to do is, that, is believe that Jesus died for you, that he rose again and turned from your me-centered life to commit to following him. Earlier I said that the entire Bible is about God wanting to make a way to dwell with his people. In Leviticus, his presence was manifest in the most holy place in the tabernacle. But because Christ's death 
made you, Christian, perfectly holy. God's spirit now lives in you. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are a temple of hope? You are the temple of God, and that the spirit of God dwells in you. The curtain of God, the curtain that separated the priests from the most holy place, that, that separated us from him. The separation of God The separation of the curtain between us and God was torn when Christ died, and now there is nothing separating us from him. We have full access, full restored relationship with God because of, we have a full access, a fully restored relationship with God as priests because of Jesus. Consider these things we've talked about today. You, like everyone else in the room, me included. We're all sinners in need of saving. Consider God's wrath of God's wrath upon the sin of Nadab and Abihu. Consider how sin always, always, always leads to death. It's so serious that God sent Jesus Christ, his son, to die on a cross for your sin. But also know that His death was an act of love. Jesus died so that you don't have to. Yes, one day, unless Christ returns, we'll all die someday, but we don't stay dead. That's what we celebrated last week with Easter and what we celebrate every Sunday we come together as a church. We're celebrating the resurrection, the victory of Christ over death and sin. Someday we will all, like Christ, be resurrected physically, And live eternally with, with, uh, with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit in paradise. That will be a life completely void of pain. Completely void of abuse, of depression, of grief, of loss. And it will be a life completely full of joy. Because it will be spent living the rest of eternity with the God who made a way to dwell with his people. It's a return to Eden. A return to peace, a to full, unadulterated access to God without the curtain separating us from him. So as his priests for now, live according to your high calling of being a glory ambassador, of being someone through whom he demonstrates his holiness so that his glory will be shown to all people in this world. And look forward to the day when the priesthood becomes obsolete because God has made a way to dwell with his people. Would you pray with me? Lord, would you help us to take seriously sin? Stop us from justifying our our sinful behaviors, actions, thoughts. Stop us from downplaying uh, our sinfulness. Stop us from comparing our sin to others. Help us to see you for who you are, God. You are a holy, majestic God whose glories destroys sin. But God, in that, we have hope. Someday we will no longer be slaves to sin. Someday we will be completely free from sin and enjoy 
a full a full life complete in you. We love you, God. You are holy, you are majestic, you are good, you are loving. And in Jesus' name we pray, our great high priest. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.